Let's have a warm welcome for Al Pickering. Oh. Right, it's me again. <laughs> okay. Well, let me just pray. We're going to look at some of the Bible, God's Word this morning. And just continue very much in this theme that we've been thinking about this morning, about God who reigns, God who's king, and what that means for us. How we can be sure that that's really true. Lord, we do pray this morning. Pray, Lord, as we look at your word together. Pray, Lord, that you would be speaking to us, challenging us, encouraging us. Lord, we pray that knowing you as our king would be a reality for each one of us. And such such a wonderful thing to celebrate. Amen. Well, the Bible does claim that God is the king of all the earth. It's something that we've been singing about. We didn't just make it up this morning. It comes from the Bible. It's all over the Bible. But I guess there might be times when we think, you know, even if you're a Christian here this morning, and you think, well, yes, I do believe that in theory. God is king of all the earth. It doesn't always seem like that's true. You know, it's easy to sing it, isn't it? It's easy to get... You know, going with the joyful music and we're here all together. Yes, God is king. God reigns. It's fantastic. But then we get out of church and um, we watch the news. And we think, well, look what's going on in Syria. God reigns. What's going on? You know, we don't need the USA to step in and do something. What about God? Why doesn't God step in and do something here? Could be other things that we see on the news or we read about it might just be that we look at our own lives or you, know, you might get a phone call this afternoon or you might be in the middle of some crisis in your family and you think, God reigns. How does this fit with what's going on in my life, in my family? Maybe, maybe you're trying to encourage someone. You want to, you want to say to them, you know, they're going through a difficult time and you want to say to them, don't worry. God reigns. God's in charge. God's king. He will look after you. He will provide. And it just feels slightly nervous about saying it because you think, I know it's true, but I'm just not sure why it doesn't always look like that. How can I be sure that God is king? And how can I maybe sing it with more meaning, with more understanding, when I really put my heart into it? What we're not about here at King's is saying, you know, let's all get worked up, singing truths, singing statements about God that actually the, the world around us doesn't really match with. We're going to look this morning at a bit from the Bible that gives us some really solid reasons, some solid proof that God reigns, that he's the king of the world, so much so that we can sing and shout about it and celebrate it. We're going to look at Psalm 47. We've got some words from Psalm 47 coming up. Let me read that for us. I'll read the first bit as well because this is actually, this isn't just in the, the English Bibles. This is from the original Psalm for the director of music of the Sons of Korah, a psalm. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. 
he chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. As you can see from that psalm, it's not remotely, these words are not words that are remotely embarrassed or hesitant to talk about God as king. It's a cause for celebration. It's a cause for shouting about it, getting joyful, saying, actually, this is good news, not just for Jewish people at that time. It's not just good news for Christians today. It's, somehow it's good news for all the earth. The whole world is called to praise God. But this isn't just statements that we read in the Bible and God is saying to us, you know, you just need to believe it. I'm going to tell you something, you need to believe it. Actually, throughout the Bible, it doesn't work like that. When we read things in the Bible, God wants to give us reasons to believe. He wants to prove it to us. He wants to demonstrate to us that it's true. And that's what's going on in this psalm as well. We're going to look at a couple of big things that are in this psalm. They may not be immediately obvious when we look at it, but when we, when we get into it, we will see there's two massive, substantial reasons to believe that God is king of the whole earth and it is a good thing and it's something to sing and shout about. Well, the first thing is celebrate God as king because of, of what he has done for us. Celebrate God as king because of what he has done for us. So the psalm, it's a call to celebration. So verse 1, it's an instruction to praise God, praise him with joy. Verse 2, well, why? Why should I praise God? Why should I clap my hands and get all excited? For, or because, the Lord Most High is awesome, the great king over all the earth. But how can I be sure of that? How do I know? Prove it to me. Show me that God really is the king of all the earth. And then we get the reasons. He subdued nations under us. This is the Jewish people of the Old Testament saying this. Peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us. The pride of Jacob whom he loved. What is that about? Well, it's talking about the way that God defeated armies and nations to set his people free and to bring them into the promised land. Especially what it's talking about. And actually, for someone in the Old Testament times to, to remember what God had done, that totally proved to them beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is awesome. God is the king of all the earth. If you were a Jew singing this psalm in a temple in Jerusalem, perhaps your mind would go to the great escape. It would have gone to the, this wonderful, amazing thing that happened back, we can read about it in the book of Exodus. They were in, they were in, in slavery in Egypt. They were slaves to the great superpower nation 
of the time. They had this ferocious king, the pharaoh of the time, in charge of them. He was ruthless. He was cracking the whip. He was saying, get on and build my cities and make bricks and do my work for me. And they were powerless against him. He, he ordered that at one point the baby boys from the Israelites should be killed to try and keep the numbers down and try and keep them under control. It was a nightmare. And yet God showed himself to be the true king, the God of all the earth, the ruler of the nations, the king over all kings. When he took one of those baby boys due to be drowned in the river and he saved him, it was Moses, He actually got the daughter of Pharaoh to discover him. That doesn't sound like a good idea. But no, actually, she protected him. She adopted him as her son. He was brought up in the palace, protected by Pharaoh and from Pharaoh. God made him the leader of his people. He spoke to him through a burning bush that didn't burn up. And he led them in an amazing, dramatic way out of Egypt. There was plagues. There was Pharaoh saying, no, 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 I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you go. There was plague and dramatic demonstration of God's power. Thing after thing, plagues of frogs and gnats and locusts and darkness. And eventually, Pharaoh let them go. Well, then he he started chasing after them with his armies. He changed his mind. But God opened up the Red Sea. And these thousands and thousands, maybe a million people, passed through these great walls of water through the Red Sea. And then the waters closed in on the armies behind them. And they sang a great song of praise that God had rescued them. And so for an Israelite, feeling very much this is part of their story, they would be singing this psalm and saying, yes, it's true. God showed his power against the nations of the world to set us free. Well, they might also be thinking, then, well, what happened, what happened next as they went through the wilderness to the promised land? It was again in getting them into the promised land that God showed his power, showed that he was king of the nations. Now, when they were promised the, the, uh, the land of Canaan, it was made clear to them it wasn't because of their own goodness that they deserved to be there. It was God's choice that they went there. And in fact, the previous inhabitants were being driven out as a punishment because of their wickedness. But it was not a pushover. And the people sent spies into the lands to see what it was like. And yes, they discovered it was brilliant. It was a rich, fertile land, a land flowing with milk and honey, there was, they were coming back with bunches of grapes so big that two people had to carry them. It looked like a fantastic place. Twelve spies went in. Ten came back saying, yeah, it is good, but we, we can't do it. it. It's not happening. They're giants there. There are these massive tribes of people. There are fortified cities. We look like grasshoppers compared to some of these people. No way. We were better off in Egypt. We cannot do it. And it got all the people grumbling and complaining against God. But there were two good spies, Caleb and Joshua. They believed God. They believed God that even though that humanly speaking this was impossible, they would do it. If God had promised it, they would 
they would get into that land. And eventually, with a bit of uh, wasting time in the wilderness because of that grumbling as a punishment for God's people, eventually they, they got into the land and God gave them victory over their enemies and he gave them this wonderful place to live in. And the worshipper singing Psalm 47 in the temple as they're, they're singing these things would be thinking, yes, it's true. The Lord Most High is awesome. He's the great king over all the earth. He's subdued, he's subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, this wonderful land. And I'm standing here right now worshipping God in the temple in Jerusalem. I'm in the promised land. I'm in this wonderful city that God has said, this is going to be the centre for worship. And actually verse 5 in the psalm, where it says, God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid sounding of the trumpet. It's, it's very similar language to what's used in 2 Samuel 6, when they, David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. It was a symbol, this golden box with the Ten Commandments in and some other things. It was a symbol of God being with them, of God reigning as their king, of, of their relationship with God. And it was brought up into Jerusalem with great joy. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And the person saying this psalm would say, yeah, it's true. God has brought us into this land. He's established us. He's given us victory over our enemies. He's done it. He is the king. Do you love celebrating God as king? Do, do you feel you can even say that, that God is king? Amen. Can you say that God is your king? That he's ruling and reigning in your life. Actually, he's the best person to be guiding you, to be leading you. Many people have a a suspicion, a real problem with authority. And there's so much bad authority in our world, isn't there? But, But the Bible wants to say to us, God is saying to us through his word, I am your king. It's a good thing. I'm the good authority you need in your life. I'm the best person to have over you as your king. We mustn't be embarrassed to think of God as king. That's one of the most important ways that God speaks about himself in the Bible. But do you believe that he's ruling and reigning over this world? Do you believe that he's working out his plan according to his wisdom that might not always fit with our wisdom? Can you trust him? What are the reasons for trusting him? Look at what God has done for us. And maybe as you look at this psalm, you think, well, this isn't, really, this isn't really what he's done for me, is it? This is what he's done for some people thousands of years ago. Well, the Bible says that if you've put your faith in Jesus, you are a true, you're part of true Israel. You're all, along with all believing Jews. You're a son or daughter of Abraham. And in fact, this, what we're reading about this morning and what I'm telling you about, this is your history if you're a Christian. This is your people. This is what God has done for us. But the wonderful thing is actually we, we know so much more than even the person who wrote this psalm that God had revealed to them at the time. We stand this side of the coming of Jesus and we can look back to the amazing things that Jesus did. Jesus came not just as a representative of God. He came as God himself, God the Son, the King. And when he came, he did all the things you'd expect God 
to do. Mighty miracles, turning water into wine. We were singing about that earlier. Calming a storm, feeding 5,000 people with a packed lunch, raising the dead, dying for the sins of the world, rising to life after three days dead. And in doing so, he defeated the greatest superpower in the world. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated the devil. So if we put our trust in Jesus and have him as the king of our lives, then we can know that, yeah, he's done great things for us. Not just thousands of years ago in the history of Israel, but great things in the Lord Jesus. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you will be able to say about some good things that God has done for you. The Bible encourages us to remember the deeds of the Lord. How often do you do that? How often do you bring to mind what God has done for you in the past? So easy to just be focused on today. What is, what is God doing for me today? What do I want God to do for me tomorrow? Well, what has God done for you in the past? Are you thankful to God? Are you able to spend time in prayer? How long can you last thanking God for what he's done for you in your life? It's wonderful last week when we had Tom and Kuzi were baptised here. Great to hear them speak about what God has done in their life. Not just through the happy times, but both of them spoke of difficult times where God has been enough for them. Sometimes maybe I will doubt, well, is God the king? Is he ruling and reigning? What might I bring to mind? One thing I like to bring to mind, we can bring to mind, again, another thing from the Old Testament, that when God's people were in the wilderness, nothing there, nothing growing, yet God provided food for them in the desert, the manna and the quail. I don't know if you know about that. A wonderful miracle in the desert, providing something from nothing. You can remember if you're thinking, is God going to provide for me? Can he provide for me? Is he strong enough? Is he in charge of enough to provide what I need? We can remember the feeding of the 5,000. It was a great thing. And the feeding of the 4,000 as well. I don't know if you know about that one as well. Amazing times where Jesus just, because he's in charge of all things, he's the creator of the world, he can do what he likes with bread and fish and he can make them do things that we can't. He can make them go much, much further. And maybe sometimes I think, well, what has God done for me? Has God ever provided for me? Well, he has. I think back to a time when I uh, moved to London. Things weren't going very well for me. I I was going to get married to someone. The the marriage was called off. And uh, I was in a bit of a state and didn't know what was happening with my job. I was working in a factory. Things were going nowhere. And I thought, right, I'm going to to move to London. I'm going to go and stay with my brother and we'll just see what happens. And I got there and I was staying on someone's floor and I just didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. I didn't really know what was going to happen next. I thought, right, we need need to pray about this. And I guess I ought to do this. This ought to be something I've done a bit more since then. But I remember saying, right, I'm going to have a day of praying about this. I'm not going to eat any food. I'm going to fast. I'm going to focus on praying to God. I'm going to pray that God will provide for me. And just at the right time within the week, 
the right job came up. It wasn't a, wasn't a fantastic career. It wasn't really, really well paid, but it was enough for me. And I look back to that many times when I'm thinking, is God going to provide for me? Can he provide for me? Is he ruling and reigning enough to do this? And I look back and I say, yes, look at what God has done for his people. Look at what he did through Jesus. Look at what he did for me personally. And it encourages me and it will encourage you as well. Just think about what God has done for you. And you will be able to celebrate and give thanks, just like we've got in this psalm, that God reigns. He's awesome. He's the most high king of all the earth. Well, Psalm 47 gives us another reason as well, actually, to be sure that God is king, king of all the earth, not just because of what he's done for us, but what he is doing in the world. Celebrate God as king because of what he is doing in the world. I don't know if you noticed, there was something about this psalm that is a little bit odd. It doesn't quite make sense. I don't know if you noticed it. Verse 1 says, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. And then verse 3, he subdued nations under us. So the whole world, all the nations of the world are being called to celebrate God as king. And then two verses later, we're being told that actually God defeated a load of nations. You think, well, how does, that, how does that work? When you've been defeated by someone, you don't normally praise them. You don't normally celebrate them. It would certainly be true in wartime. It's certainly true in football. If you watch Match of the Day, you may not be interested in football at all, but if you watch Match of the Day, they have interviews at the end of the highlights of each Premier League match. And there's a little interview normally with uh, the manager. You get a few words from the manager of each team talking about how things have gone. It is very rare to hear a team that has been defeated, especially like really badly defeated. The manager is saying that, oh, we totally deserved it. They were just one, they played so well. They're such a fantastic team. I wish them all the best. In the, in the title champion, title race. No, it's, it's, all this, it's all this stuff about, no, it's such an unfair decision from the ref. That goal should never have been allowed. It should definitely have been a penalty. It should definitely not have been a penalty. And probably the best you get is that they focus on themselves and they say, we should have played so much better. It's always like that. I mean, it was, it was genuinely a bit of an injustice yesterday when Hull City were beaten by Manchester City. That fir- if that first goal, that one-on-one with a goalkeeper, if that goal had gone in, and it should have gone in, we were cheated. It would have changed the whole course of the match. It would have changed the result. I'm sure we would have got some points out of that. But you see, it's true, isn't it? In this time, you think, what is going on? How can it be... That those who've been defeated, or at least some of those nations that have been defeated, are going to praise God for his power. Well, the puzzle becomes clear. Well, the answer to the puzzle becomes clear as we see actually what God is doing in the world. And we, the answer comes clear at the end of the psalm. So just, just to look at the second half of the psalm then. It's actually a psalm of two halves, if you like. It's... Um, And each half follows a similar kind of pattern. So when we get to verse 6, 
we get, just like verse 1, a call to celebrate God as king. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. Why is that? For, or because, God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. Well, how do I know that? How can I be sure? Prove it to me. Verses 8 and 9, God reigns over the nations. He is seated on his holy throne. And listen to this. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. What is God doing in the world that can make his enemies praise him? He's making them his people. That's what it's saying here. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. And this is describing something that even to someone back in those days, they would have seen, yes, this is God's plan. He promised it through Abraham to bless all of the nations of the world through him. And God is doing it. He's beginning to do it. And it's really the, what you could say is a sort of prophetic element to this psalm. It's, it's looking forward to something that was partly true at the time, but it is beca- going to become completely true and true in the fullest sense that God meant it when the right time comes. And this psalm, there is a, a way in which it is true then, but it, was, it becomes fully true. It's fulfilled when God says it's the right time. Well, we can read in the book of Revelation, the end results. We can see how things are going to turn out. Again, as we're looking forward, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, the disciple John gets a vision from God of the future, and this is what he sees. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus. They were wearing white robes. They, they symbolize people who've been made clean by Jesus and his death for them. They were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what God is working towards. That's what God has promised. That final gathering of people People who were enemies in their hearts towards God have been made his friends, his sons and daughters. That's true of all of us, isn't it? The Bible says that we were once against God. We were enemies of God. We'd all turned away from God. And when anyone becomes a Christian, it's because God has to change our hearts and reorientate them to him. He has to show us that we need him. And we have to, and he gives us that ability to put our faith in Jesus and turn to him, submit to him. And here is this great gathering of people, people who were once God's enemies have now joined his family, gathered together from every nation, tribe, people, and language. People from everywhere, every kind of person will be represented there. But God has always been doing that. And so it did make some sort of sense to the person who was writing originally, Uh, these sons of Korah, Um, it would have made sense to the first worshippers who sang this psalm. So for instance, let's just think, we were saying earlier about the great escape from Egypt under Moses leading them. Well, Moses 
had a father-in-law called Jethro, his wife's dad. And he was not an Israelite. He was not a worshipper of God. He was some sort of priest of some other gods, some other kind of religion. The, a priest of Midian, he's called. And yet when he heard about the amazing things that God had done to set his people free from Egypt, this is what he said. Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. That's in Exodus 18. He's saying, yeah, I know it. I can see it. You've demonstrated it to me. God has proved it. He's above all gods. He's the king of all. And Jethro offered sacrifices. He worshipped God in the way they did at the time. So here's a very unlikely person being gathered in to worship God. Someone from another nation. Someone who was far from God. And God is doing it bit by bit. Think about the time when they came into the promised land, as we were saying earlier. And they were going to go and take the city of Jericho. There was another unlikely person there who lived in that city. Someone who came to believe that God is the king of all. Someone called Rahab. She was a prostitute. We heard about a prostitute last Sunday as well. Don't, don't have many, if, you're not, if you've not been many times, you don't have prostitutes here every sermon. But it's... Um, just works out this way because God does call whoever you are whatever you've done God can turn your life around and bring you into his family and here is a woman not just a prostitute but someone from a different nation from one of the nations that was being driven out of the promised land but she could see that God was the right God's side was the right side to be on She hid some of the Israelite spies. She kept them safe from her own people. This is what she said to the spies in Joshua 2. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for, for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. The New Testament talks about her as a woman of faith. And this is how she's expressing her faith in God. She asked Joshua to save her when they came and took the city. And he did. She and her family were saved. They lived amongst God's people and known as people. She's known as a woman of faith. Another unlikely person. And that you can go through the, the Old Testament and find these different people, unlikely people from different nations, in some cases quite powerful, important people, like Naaman, who was an army commander, like King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, someone who came to acknowledge God as the king of all. It's just like it says in this psalm, the nobles of the nations assemble as a people Of the God of Abraham. God is doing it. He's got the power. That is one of the ways we see his reign. As he gathers people from every type. Every nation. Every place. To himself. We see it in the coming of Jesus as well. Who were the first people. Who came to worship Jesus. And brought him gifts fit for a king. 
who came from another country, the Magi, the wise men, the, the three wise men. We don't know if there were three. There were three gifts, though. The Magi came, and they were unlikely people, came from a great distance, important people. They came to worship Jesus, to say, Jesus is king. We're going to bow down before him. When Jesus had died for us, he'd risen again. He gave instructions to his disciples, go into all nations and make disciples. Because, and he can say that because he said, I've got all authority in heaven and on earth. So it's not just the stories from long ago. It's, it's true in the life of Jesus. We see Jesus as the king with all authority, sending people to all nations. And what was the first thing that happened once Jesus had gone into heaven? He'd been ascended into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower his disciples to speak about him, to make disciples. You have, we read in Acts 2, people from every nation, Jews from every nation, are gathered in Jerusalem for a festival and 3,000 people come to know Jesus that day. It was an amazing day when God was just a symbol of now an explosion of gathering in people from all over the place as one people, God's people, unlikely people, people from every nation, gathering them in. Do you ever think of how God has worked in your life? Would you say that you were a likely candidate for coming to know Jesus? I think perhaps uh, if we think about it carefully, none of us were Things could have worked out very different for every one of us. I thank God that I was born into a Christian family. Thank God for my mum and dad who loved Jesus, who brought me up in the church, who taught me to know Jesus. And at some point or other, I came to know him for myself. But things could have been so very different. I only had to be born to a different set of parents and things could have been very different for me. For Harriet, she met a friend. Harriet's my wife, you don't know. She met a friend at school in the sixth form. This friend who was a Christian took her on a summer camp, heard about Jesus, became a Christian, gave her life to the Lord. Things could have been so very different. But God was working just at the right moments with the right people. None of us is a likely person, a deserving person to come to know Jesus. And if you look back on your life and you say, actually, God brought me. I am one of those far off people that God brought in. In fact, Think about the first disciples going to all the nations. England is part of the ends of the earth. They weren't speaking English in those days. They weren't even coming first to the British Isles. They probably didn't even know about um, much about, well, I suppose the Romans, isn't there? Anyway, let's not get into that. But um, there was obviously stuff going on here. But Christianity did come. The gospel did come to the British Isles. But it was the ends of the earth. It wasn't around Jerusalem. It wasn't the bit they were familiar with. But God saw that even people from this part of the world were gathered in. Maybe you know someone who you think, actually, they are someone who was really unlikely to become a Christian. They resisted it. They were totally hostile. They were totally not interested. But now they love the Lord. God changed their hearts. And when I hear of someone like that, it encourages me. You think that is a sign of what God is doing. That it's a sign that God's in charge of bringing people to know him. It's encouragement for me when I think about people I know who seem far from God. Say, yes, God is king. 
God reigns. God can work in any person, however far they seem from him. But what about the actual nations, people around the world? I'm very grateful that I've got this opportunity to to go with uh, some of you to Lesotho. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to meeting Christians from a totally different culture, from a, just a, a totally different expression of Christianity. Some of whom I'm, I guess will not speak English or much English, and yet we will have that family bond. And I'm looking forward to that. It encourages us when we meet Christians from very different places. And we say, yeah, this is one of the signs that God is at work. God is king. He is drawing people as one group towards the end time when that great multitude of people will be gathered together under him. Some of us were at the the Catalyst Festival, part of the the group of churches we're part of. There There was a fellow there. Um, from the Ukraine, he was a church leader called Andrei Bondarenko. He was speaking, and he's been involved in planting churches, helping churches in that part of the world. He was speaking through an interpreter. He was speaking um, Ukrainian, I guess, uh, a kind of version of Russian. And, you know, he's speaking with an interpreter. And it was a bit difficult to listen to, to be honest. It's not. Anyway, see the language experts later on if you want to know uh, exactly. But he was speaking a language that I did not understand. And uh, he had an interpreter. And it was difficult to listen to with an interpreter, to be honest. But actually, it was fantastic to have someone who God has worked in powerfully, who he's using in a totally different part of the world, to actually have someone whose first language isn't ours. He He was a demonstration up there of what God is doing around the world. And as it was good to hear him, I once was on a, a Christian mission. We went, uh, a team of us, to Norway. And there was a fellow on the team from Togo in West Africa. I mean, I don't think I'd ever heard of Togo at the time. And he was there, he was in full African dress. And he didn't speak any English at all. Played really good bongos and guitar. And, but it was just great to get to know him a bit and just think, this is a brother in Christ who God has drawn from a totally different part of the world. And it's just fantastic what God is doing. And this is part of the proof. The Bible is saying to us, this is proof to us that not just God is there, but God is powerful, God is ruling and reigning. What God has done for us and what God is doing in the world. We do want to sing joyfully, as this psalm says. We want to joyfully praise God as our king, we are going to sing again in a moment. It's not just, it's not going to be all done, is it, in a song. Actually, God wants that we go from this place, not just having sung a song and then we go out, but actually these things go deep in our hearts that we say, yeah, the re- there are real solid reasons why I can trust that God is king, God is reigning. I look at what he's done, what he's doing And God is saying to you through this psalm, delight in me. Take these reasons to heart. These are good reasons to trust me. I am your king. That's a good thing. I'm a good king for everyone. Hold on to me. Hold on to me in your prayers when things are tough. Refocus your life on me. Get your joy in me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I'm doing. Well, let me pray. And then perhaps a band can come up and we can... Sing to our King.
Oh, Lord, our awesome God, we do praise you this morning. We, we just can't take in, in this short time, all that you've done. Lord, we pray we might commit ourselves. We want to, want to fill our hearts with what you've done. We want to be amazed by what you're doing. Oh, Lord, we pray that that might give us that confidence to trust you more and more in our everyday life. In Jesus' name, amen.